This is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 16th episode of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, we catch up with Melbourne AFLW footballer Sarah Jolly, London All-Stars coach Mitch Scully, footy author Yvette Roby, and our State League footy rap with Alison Schiller, Matthew Cox, Aaron Russell, and Lauren Hodgson. All of that coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the 16th episode of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, our third season season on the air. And a quick reminder, you can listen to this podcast as a radio program by tuning in Wednesday evenings, quarter past six to RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne. And you can find it also online by going to rsn.net.au forward slash digital hyphen radio. Or just go to the RSN website, click on digital radio, then Carnival. It's easy as that, isn't it? Time to jump into the first of our interviews. And we've got on the line a Melbourne AFLW footballer who made her name playing with the Gippsland Galaxy in the then VWFL, including winning two premierships, one in Division 5 East and then in Division 3. She was also a competition best and fairest and competition leading goal kicker. She now plays for the VU Western Spurs in the Victorian Football League women's competition. It's great to have on the line Sarah Jolly. Sarah, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. Uh, first of all, before we step back to a little bit of your footballing history, how are you settling in down at Footscray, the VU Western Spurs? Yes, very good. Um, Debbie and all the team down there um, are doing great things. We've gone from two teams to four teams this year in 2017. Um, so a um, lot happening down at, at Footscray at the moment. For yourself personally, Sarah, where did your footy journey first begin? So I started playing uh, girls' footy um, at a competition level in 2015 for Gippsland Galaxy. Um, played two seasons there. First season was in um, Division 5, and last year we played in Division 3. Uh, for yourself personally, where were you located in Gippsland, and, and what was the typical driving for you? Because back then it was almost a statewide competition, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. So I was um, living in Sale. Um, so training was uh, 45 minutes away in Trelgan. And uh, the closest home game um, was usually um, Melbourne, inner city, Brunswick, Fitzroy, um, places like that. So that's a fair commitment. That's at least a good six hours or so of travelling, isn't it, each and every match day that you were playing for the Galaxy? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, every away game was in Melbourne um, and every home game was in Trelgan. So um, no matter where the game was, um, travelling was involved. What For yourself personally, what got you down to the Gippsland Galaxy? How, how did that all happen? So it happened by I know Nikki Schroeder, the Galaxy coach, really well. Um, we were... Um, friends from netball um, previously and um, she was right into footy and decided to try and get a a women's team up and going in in Gippsland. So um, just by fate really that Nikki was the coach is how I got involved in footy down in Gippsland. And what fate it was because along the journey you picked up a league best and fairest, you picked up a league leading goal kicker. Did you have any idea it was going to go all so well? Uh, not particularly, no. Last year, um, when it comes to awards night, um, I was actually told that I wasn't invited because of um, the vote count. I was purely there because of um, the fact that I'd won the lead in goal kicking for the league. So I had no expectations on how I would have gone 
overall in the voting. So, um, yeah, it was a very big shock. For you as well, you got to train with the Victorian Women's Academy. Um, how did you find that experience? Yeah, that was a really good experience. Um, so I did that over summer in um, 2016. So that's um, when we, all the big names were in the academy. So it was a very um, elite training style and um, got to learn a lot about the game and, and um, got to learn off a lot of great players as well. Throughout uh, season 2016, it was Knox's first and only year up in the VFLW competition. They were struggling and they needed some extra support and players from Pascoe Vale, Fitzroy and Gippsland Galaxy were introduced into the side at times. Um, how did you find that experience uh, playing with Knox? I guess you wouldn't have been training with them, so it's almost like getting to know everyone on match day. Yeah, absolutely. So the reason we got involved with Knox was um, every time we'd have a home game, um, we'd seem to have opposition not wanting to make the trip down to Trelgan from Melbourne. So we were getting a couple of forfeits and things like that. So on the Friday night, we'd um, call up Knox and, and ask if we, they'd have a position available for us. Um, and, yeah, they always um, had some room for us, so we were able to go down and, and play with them. Um, all the girls are really welcoming down there, especially, like, as you said, we didn't train at all um we didn't really know each other at all um we just basically um showed up at the ground warmed up and played so um they were really good to us to let us go and play there and i was lucky enough to be a part of their um only win for the year last year against geelong so that was a really good moment for the girls down at knox Yes, beating uh, the Magpies down there at Schultz Reserve. And I still remember the crowd counting down from 10, 9, 8 until that, <laughs> until that final siren went. What a day it was. How did you find at that stage, personally, the step up from uh, over a 12-month period, you've gone from playing uh, Division 5 with Gippsland to Division 3 with Gippsland and then filling in at state league level with Knox? Yeah, so there was a big jump, definitely. Um, our team down in Gippsland was very strong, um, but the competition um, probably was was probably a little bit behind our Gippsland team. So um, going up and playing some state league, league footy against some really good teams, um, even though Knox uh, probably weren't one of the strongest teams, it was still um, really good competition and and um, really good to see where you needed to be at if you wanted to make that um, VFL or play a season of VFL and even that next jump to AFL. Do you ever pinch yourself at times when you're out there, when you were running around for Knox and you're up against the opposition and you look over shoulder and one moment you're playing Darabin, there goes Daisy Pierce running by. Next week you're playing uh, St Kilda Sharks, there goes Bree Davey. The week after you're playing Melbourne Uni, there goes Emma Carney. Do you ever just stop yourself in the field going, I can't believe I'm playing amongst these quality footballers? Yeah, well, at the time, um, I didn't really know too much about all these um, superstar girl football players. Um, coming from Gippsland, it wasn't really – I didn't even really know anything about the women's AFL in Melbourne um, for my first season particularly. So the second season when I started filling in for Knox, um, I didn't really know too much, but I heard the names being thrown around and things like that. But, yeah, um, it definitely was uh, pretty exciting and intimidating at the same time. Heading into draft day last year, what was your honest expectations? As you, I guess you were keeping an eye on the website or heading into the room to find out who was going to get picked out of the 145 players. Well, to be honest, I 
had forgotten that um, the draft was even on. I was actually at home sick that week um, and I only realised it was draft day because um, one of my friends tagged me in something on Facebook and so my dad and I decided to just have it playing in the background on on our laptop um, while we were doing other things with our day. So um, I had no expectations whatsoever. Um, I did feel a little bit of pressure because people um, sort of knew that I did okay at Division Three level, but they didn't really understand that that's such a big jump to VFL level, which nearly um, all of Victoria got drafted from. So um, in my eyes, I had I had no chance. It comes down to pick 145. Melbourne are getting ready to step up and call a name. Did you have an inkling? And even if you didn't, what was the feeling when boom, this is it, the very last pick of the draft, you're the one called out. Yeah, so I, the only um, club that showed any interest in me was Melbourne. Um, that was uh, the week after um, the VWFL awards night. Um, had a call from Debbie Lee. I went down to do a training. Um, I didn't hear anything back after that. And so I, this is a couple of weeks out from the draft, so I didn't really think that I did very well and that was sort of my one chance and it was – I obviously didn't impress, so I didn't really think too much about it after that. And um, But I did remember saying to a friend, if I ever am going to get picked, it will be the last pick to Melbourne um, after knowing what the order, the pick order was for each club. So um, it was quite funny that it did work out that way. Um, but, yeah, I thought if I ever was to get picked, it was going to be that last pick. And off you went to the Demons. Now, for yourself personally, as you said, when you're playing at Gippsland, you're in sale. Was that – did you make a move at that stage from sale to Melbourne to make things easier to, to play AFLW? Uh, yes. So, I, I ended up moving um, round two of the AFL um, season um, just before we played Collingwood. Um, so, yeah, I moved um, – out of home that day into my new house in Melbourne and, and then got on the bus to go to um, Icon Park. So it was a very busy day. And how big a commitment is that for you? Because obviously you're not professional footballers. You've got to, you know, up and move your life, you know, move out on your own. And, and obviously you may have studying or job or, or whatever else you've got going on in your life outside of football. I was all pre-season. I was um, working um, back home and travelling three times a week to Melbourne to train um so that was a a really big load to do that and then um I work full-time as well so backing it up and getting um to work each day and um just juggling um different work hours and things like that to fit in a full week's work and then um driving down the highway to get to training on time was was definitely different I had to really um evaluate what was important in my life and what I needed to sacrifice to to make the dream sort of a reality so um, it was really tough but I was fortunate enough to um, transfer from my um, office in Trelgan to our Melbourne office and um, still be able to continue my work um, after moving during the season so um the move um, was actually a lot easier than and what it could have been. So, yeah, I was pretty lucky in that way. 
And, of course, you had that season where you played a handful of games for the Melbourne Demons and uh, got to obviously run around wearing the uh, red and blue. At the end of the season, VFLW rolls around. Did, did you have an inkling you were heading to the Spurs straight away? How did the conversation uh, come about that you were going to uh, head down to Footscray? Yeah, so I still had made no decision after the season of AFLW was over. Um, I, yeah, was really torn between um, a couple of different clubs on where to go and just what the best fit for me would be, um, where I would get um, some really good um, game time and just um, the right the right people to be around. Um, and the club. So I didn't really know too much about all of the VFL clubs. So um, I spoke to um, my coach Mick and a couple of the other coaches and some of my teammates from Melbourne. Um, and it wasn't until my um, final meeting with Melbourne that I sort of um, decided that Spurs might be the place for me. So the next week I went down for a training session um, and yeah, just really good. Um, energy and vibe from all the girls down at um, the Spurs and really good um, group of coaches. And it was, yeah, from that point, I just knew it was going to be a really good place to, to land at. So, yeah, really happy with it so far. When you were training, obviously, with the Galaxy, I'm guessing there would have been 20 or 30 at a training session. When you were training with Melbourne, of course, there was uh, no more than 27. How does it feel? Does it feel a bit intimidating stepping down to the Spurs? This is their first year they've got those four sides when there's 100-plus other women out there on the Oval all trying to find some space, all trying to train, and obviously all competing for spots. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is very busy on a, on a Wednesday night, that's for sure, when all the four teams are training. But luckily, the... The Spurs Oval is very, very big, so everyone seems to find their own patch of grass to be able to train on. Um, yeah, so we've got a, a squad, um, and it's a really competitive squad um, that I'm sure it's really hard for Debbie and the, all the coaches to pick each week. Um, got a really good bunch of girls that are um, really even, and um, plenty of girls that can play um, all all into the ground. So it's really good to have all of those um, those girls there fighting for position. So it's going to make us really strong throughout the season, I think. And what was the focus for the team heading into game one, taking on uh, Cranbourne down at Cranbourne, where obviously um, I guess they, they had the wood on the Spurs. Cranbourne caused an upset late last year when they won down at Witten Oval. I guess looking for a little bit of redemption, particularly for the girls that had played last year. Yeah, so not much was spoken about um, last year and how things panned out. We are just um, more looking forward to um, this year and all the new exciting things that are happening um, with the VFL side at the Spurs. So we're just focused on our our game plan, um, although the conditions at Casey made it a little bit um, hard to execute with the classic um, wind and rain that you get down there. But... Um, yeah, we're able to just try and keep our um, flowing and um, forward play going and it works in our favour and, um, yeah, we come away with a nice win. Compared to last year's VFLW, have you noticed a, a lift in standard even from the non-AFLW footballers that you were up against in against Cranbourne? Yeah, absolutely. There's girls come from um, all different sports and even girls that have been playing AF, um, like footy for a, a number of years, you can tell that um, 
they've they've been really working hard over the summer. I know all the girls from the Spurs have been working really hard. That that didn't play AFL and just to be at that standard and. Um, I think we're going to see a really good competition in the VFL this year and a lot of upsets and I don't think it will be the same as years gone by. I think it will be a very different competition in a good way. And as they say, everyone's their own best critic. So for yourself personally, what do you see that you want to improve on throughout this VFLW season to obviously have you ready for AFLW next year? Yeah, just I on a personal level, just got to work really hard on my my running capacity, my endurance, um, just my intensity around um, all aspects of the game. Um, yeah, just really lifting um, my work rate and, yeah, just being able to, to get to more contests and impact more. Um, I think that is something that I really need to focus on this VFL season if I'm um, going to be lucky enough to get another shot at AFL next year. Well, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us here on girlsplayfooty.com and we wish you all the very best throughout the remainder of the 2017 Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Season with the VU Western Spurs. Thank you very much, Peter. This weekend presents one of the last opportunities for international Aussie rules teams to have a hit out before the International Cup gets underway in Melbourne in August. This is called the London Footy Carnival that's happening over in the UK. And I've got on the line the coach of the London All-Stars women's team, Mitch Scully. Mitch, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. First of all, for those of us here in Australia and obviously outside of the UK, can you tell us what the London Footy Carnival is all about? Uh, yeah, so I think the London Footy Carnival came about as a bit of an opportunity for uh, the GB and Ireland squads as well as Canada for their development side uh, in preparation for the International Cup later this year. Um, so I know Canada last time around sent two squads over to Australia, but this, te- this time sending the main squad to Australia and their development team over to, to Europe. Um, so we've got GB and Ireland and as well as that, the London All-Stars, which is a great chance for, for girls who don't qualify for either GB or Ireland or the European Crusaders, uh, but want to play some representative footy. So we've mostly got Australians, got a Kiwi, and I think a uh, French girl as well. Well, that's certainly something different to have the French involved in the uh, London team. Can you tell us about the All-Stars team that you've managed to pull together? Are we talking about essentially the best of the best that aren't British? Pretty much. That was the, that was the objective. Um, so we've got teams, we got basically first of all teams to submit players, Obviously, given the time constraints with club training, people working, people travelling, because that's what a lot of the Aussies come to Europe for, it was hard to do a real proper selection process, but we've got people nominated and then uh, picked the squad from that, basically. Unfortunately, we had about four of our top liners go down injured on the weekend, but we've pulled in a few replacements, and I reckon we've got a pretty, pretty strong squad lineup. And as you said, it's been a bit interrupted, so how much of an opportunity do you have to train this week as a unit to lead up until uh, match day? Yeah, basically we had, we've had a Wednesday and a Monday night so far uh, with mixed responses in terms of attendances and we've got a Wednesday this week. So hopefully on Wednesday we can get you know, 20, 25 out of the 29 in the squad together, go through a few, a few of our structures, get to know each other, learn a few names and we get to hand out the kit as well because we have a kit specially made up for the tournament. It's a heck of a turnaround, this tournament. Three games in three days, particularly Friday leading into the Saturday. You kick yeah. off Friday night with a 7pm game. No one's going out in the town because you've got to back up 10am the next morning. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge for the girls. So I was thinking about this morning, what we do uh, after the game, obviously try and have a have a good little warm down. 
probably recommend people stick to uh, Lucas Aid and Pizza as opposed to beers and kebabs or something, I don't know, but try and get a run right up and about for 10 o'clock uh, Saturday morning, which will be a challenge. And then again, to back it up on Sunday, I think we've got Ireland on Sunday, and they're going to be real competitive too. How much do you know of your opposition that you'll be taking on? I mean, first of all, on 7pm on Friday night, uh, you're taking on the Canada Midnight Times, which you said is the development side of Canada. I can tell you, I don't know anything. All I know is Canada, uh, last time around, I think they won the women with their premier side. So I'm assuming that their development squad's going to be pretty strong. And if they're flying all the way over to London for a game of footy, I'm guessing they're not here to muck around either. Saturday morning at 10am at uh, Packham Rye Common, you're uh, taking on the GB Swans. You're seeing them up close, particularly when they're playing within the Women's League. How do you rate the GB side so far and their preparation for IC17 coming up in three months? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're dead keen for IC. Uh, obviously, we've got a few girls in my squad at Wandsworth Demons, as well as what I see around London and just other tournaments we play in the UK. Their fitness is through the roof. They've been running, doing weights, doing extra sessions nonstop. Um, and I think their football's come, come a long way even since I first saw those girls play last year. So they, they were in the London uh, pre-season cup. And I, I don't think they conceded a point all day against the club side. And they've got a couple of really good players. And Laura Turner's one. Um, Rania is a tall girl that plays out in the wing or half forward. And then Ruck Lee, who I think may have got a little bit of an injury on the weekend, so hopefully it's nothing too serious, yeah. On uh, Sunday at 10.30am, you've got the Irish Banshees. Are you expecting them to come at you hard? Because they were winners of IC 2011, and since then, they lost the 2014 Grand Final. They lost in London in, in August in the European Championships. Uh, do you fear that they might be having a, a point to prove? Uh, they're, they're working great players. Obviously, I, I coach Nora and Linda from their team in club footy, and I'll be, I'll be making sure we mark them pretty hard. But uh, I think it, I think for IC, they'll be prime. For this tournament, I know they've, they've struggled a little bit because obviously girls coming across from from Ireland to the UK, there's ex- added expensive flights as well. So I think they might be a little bit short of full strength, uh, but I know that they'll still be strong. They're a really good run and carry side. And I'm sure for IC, they'll be really up and about with a really strong squad there. And for your London All-Stars as well, for those that might be heading along to the footy carnival this weekend, who are some of the players that we should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, uh, I've got a couple of names for you. So Tess Hankinson and Bex Dixon, they were their equal best and fairest at Wandsworth last year. A couple of guns. Uh, Tess will play half forward. Bex probably half back. Uh, from the Lions, there's Chev Ewing. And we would have had Steph Gilbay, who she's only near the footy, but she's really strong, kicks the ball a mile, kicks goals. She got injured on the weekend, which is a real shame. Uh, from the Hawks, Gab Legal probably play half back. From the Giants, Ginge, as we know her, Carly Smith, she's a really gun forward. And the Wildcats, who are a new team in the um, AFL London Women's Comp, they've picked up some really good players for their first inaugural season. One of them is Ali Tuvi, and another one, Jeff Humble. Uh, they can probably swing midfield or half forward, so I'm hoping to get a bit out of them on the weekend. Well, Mitch, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we certainly wish you uh, all the very best this weekend for your London All-Stars when you take on the Canada Midnight Sun, Shebe Swans and the Irish Banshees in the London Footy Carnival. No worries. Thanks, Pete. Really looking forward to the weekend, and, yeah, thanks for having me.
Now, for those interested in catching some of the London Footy Carnival action over in the UK, uh, happening Friday night there, time 7pm, London All-Stars versus the Midnight Suns. That is being played at the South Park Cricket Oval in Fulham. On Saturday, May 20 at 10am, GB Swans versus London All-Stars. 11.15, Canada Midnight Suns versus uh, the Irish Banshees. And then the Irish Banshees versus the GB Swans at 2pm. That is happening at uh, Packham Rye Common. And on Sunday, 21st of May uh, being played again at the South Park Cricket Oval in Fulham uh, is the Irish Banshees versus London All-Stars at 10.30 and then at 12 o'clock the GB Swans versus the Canada Midnight Suns. More details available via AFL Europe or on the AFL London Women's League Facebook page. Check it out. Hopefully we'll get some details if they'll be streaming the game live or if they'll be uploading video of that a little bit later on. Once we know, we'll let you know through the Girls Play Footy Twitter account. Now, everyone loves a good footy book and a new one has just hit the shelves. It's called Siren's Call, a memoir by Yvette Roby. Now, she is a massive St Kilda Saints fan in the AFL, but she's also started to follow the St Kilda Sharks in the VFLW competition. And she writes a little bit about them in this book. And that's why to talk a little bit about it, I have got the author herself on the line, Yvette Roby. Yvette, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, Peter. Very well indeed. Great to have you along. Now, of course, this book that you've got out has come about through some of your work with the Footy Almanac. First of all, just to give those at home a little bit of an idea, what exactly is the Footy Almanac website all about? Yes, John Harm started the Footy Footy Almanac a number of years ago, um, got a whole lot of writers together to write about their experience of going to the footy. So they're game reports, but they're game reports that have wonderful stories about people's families, who they go to the footy with, funny stories, um, uh, historical experiences. It covers now all sports, including uh, the women, the AFLW. So people write about anything that captures them in sports. So uh, it uh, goes up on a website and then uh, every year the Footy Almanac puts out a... a collection covering every single game of the year. Um, and they've done that since, I think, about 2007. Uh, well, I think it's when Geelong started winning premierships anyway, because <laughs> John's a uh, cat supporter. And what we did is last year, I walked, uh, early this year, I said to John, uh, we have to do a women's footy almanac. And he said, sure. So we've collected together, try to get sponsors. Um, and have written up every single women's game, again, by fans. And fans have gone there, watched the games, and written some beautiful stories. So every single uh, AFLW women's game has been covered. So, yes, so that's the kind of community. Um, And so I've been writing uh, for six or seven years, and I had this sort of, um, as I wrote every week for the Almanac, I would like to write and go to every game and, and, and write my family story. And that's what I did. And it kind of reminds uh, us when we talk about the footy almanac, some might recall, I think it was a series back in about, uh, it might have been 83, 84. Um, I think it was called From the Outer in the Age. And it was a Fitzroy supporter talking about his experiences at every game. Correct. So it's that kind of thing where um, people talk about experience, talk about who they go with, um, and their views on footy, often the controversies and... and um, uh, oh, look, there's everything. There's poetry. There's Haku Bob um, writes short little bits of poetry. Um, we have almanac music. We have uh, it, it's it's wonderful. And John Harms puts a lot of work into it. But he's the sort of person that 
encourages. And so people have gone on to uh, writing jobs or, and like me, I've gone on from writing for the site and being chosen for the Footy Almanac books to now writing my own book as well as I'm um, an executive producer of the Women's Footy Almanac, which will be out in June. So I'll talk to you again about that when that comes out because it's very cool. We look forward to uh, certainly catching that. Um, one thing that uh, that caught my eye, obviously, is you're a big St Kilda supporter, Saints mm-hmm. and also Sharks as well. So how did this idea come about to write Sirens Call and particularly focus in on the period that you did? Well, um, my mother was going to decide to have radiation therapy and I'm the sort of person that needs a counterbalance. So if I'm going to do something really tough, I need to counterbalance it with something uh, that will keep me engaged and, and happy through life. So, um, and my mother loved my writing. So where I write, she would, uh, she's read everything or she read everything. And so it was a way of diverting her and, and keeping her positive as well. So I decided that uh, she was starting the treatments in uh, January 2015. So I decided I'd write a book. And so it's a book about football, but it's my family story as well. My family football story, but uh, the story of mum's health over that year and trudging through hospitals and footy conversations that would suddenly divert you from the serious to uh, the funny. Um, so that's what I did. And then when I travelled, other pe- and for that period of time she was having radiation, uh, I'd get other people to cover if I, I wasn't there, if I was travelling interstate. But basically got through most of that year with mum reading everything. Um, so, uh, and during that period of time, uh, I used to watch the Doggies and Melbourne women's game, loved it, and thought it's time I chose my own uh, women's team in the VFL and looked up on the uh, wonderful Google and found uh, that St Kilda had one, red, white and black, St Kilda Sharks. They even sing oh, when the Sharks go marching in. Um, so it was pretty much love at first sight and went to watch a couple of games. So I was writing about uh, Brittany and Mo Hope and um, uh, other players at uh, St Kilda Sharks and then suddenly these women were playing all over the AFL. So it's 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 an interesting um, juxtaposition. I'm interested to get to know your point of view of going to your first Sharks game because there's a lot of people out there now in particular since AFLW has come along that they're now starting to experience their first women's footy match. Now, if you've gone along to a men's AFL game, for example, traditionally you've always gone along in your club scarf, club jumper or something like that. If you don't know anyone, sooner or later at the game or at the pub before or afterwards, someone comes up to ask you a question about the game, you start to talk to them and you kind of get involved in the club atmosphere pretty quickly. How does it feel as, I guess, as much as you love St Kilda Saints, going to the first St Kilda Sharks game as, I guess, a complete stranger and entering into that environment? Well, one of the things that um, I do is I often just uh, talk to people because I knew I was writing a book and I wanted to know more and I've been writing for the Almanac. I sort of do these things like I introduce myself to people. So I introduce myself to Lisa Cato and I adore Lisa. She's just so open and friendly and welcoming and, and, and the president at that time was Karen Ralph and so I talked to her, told her I wanted to come down, I wanted to meet people, I wanted to chat to people. I chatted to the girls that were waiting for their main game and they told me stories on the boundary. I talked to, I ended up talking to people next to me who were parents and grandparents of a player out in the field and that was Brittany Benici so I got her story. So it's what I do everywhere Peter. I, I tend to start chatting to people and people tell me stories. So 
that's what I did at the shark. So I uh, went down there twice, wrote their story up, put it up on the almanac, because every story I wrote that year, and John Harms um, made a joke about me in the almanac that I wrote so much that year, and it was like over 200,000 words covering every single game, that I had to, imp- uh, had to get it. Send my editing offshore to another almanac at Glenn, my mate Glenn in um, Ben Brownstein in America, and he's worked closely to, to pare it down to what we see in Sirens Call. Um, but every story that anybody told me all along that year is on the almanac. You just have to plough through 200,000 words to find it. So I got the, the women's stories, and, and, and that, that was part of my thing of falling in love with women playing footy and the very welcoming atmosphere at uh, St Kilda Sharks. So people just need to go and start chatting to people, whatever football they're at. It's certainly 200,000 words that will get you through cricket season to when (laughs) footy comes back around again. Yeah, well, I I don't know if I can do that much again, but I've (laughs) learnt about the art of saying less, I think, or or the art of editing so things get edited down. But, um, yes, it's not. It's uh, The book is not uh, 200,000 words, but it's... um, I'm told by others that it's a good read and it's an easy easy read and and, uh, and enjoyable uh, taking people on my journey like I took my mother. Um, she, sadly, she passed away um, at the beginning of 2016 and she read uh, all my footy ones. Uh, she didn't read the bits after she'd gone, obviously, but uh, I know she's there supporting it. And I've also, um, with the Sharks, have... have um, become a sponsor and donated uh, a best on field for the reserve team in my mother's name uh, for this year. So uh, the best player in the reserves team gets an Elf, uh, Elfie Rosenberg voucher for, uh, for a sports, sports voucher. That is absolutely fantastic to have uh, your mother's memory carried on there at the Sharks and for the reserves players to get something as well because obviously we we put a lot of highlight on those that play in the seniors but uh, for the reserves who are truly playing it for the love of the game. Correct. And and also, you know, some of them are trying to improve and trying to get up into the, um, uh, the VFL side and hopefully be drafted. So it's wonderful having women now that know that they can take their football seriously and um, ca- can play in, in front of people, in front of crowds. And what I'm also hoping to do is that people like me but uh, that have enjoyed the AFLW go back to their local and fall in love with their local clubs and support their local clubs because they pay to play. They they do everything. All the club members have to organise committees, just like uh, all, all regular clubs or associations. Uh, people have to do all the hard work. So the more support, the more sponsors, the more um, uh, social club member, I've become a social club member, the more people that come and support these things, uh, the more successful the girls will be, the more time they can concentrate on kicking the footy. Is that the great, I don't know if it's pity or zuxia position, whatever you might want to call it, that when the AFLW teams first came around and clubs announced that they'll be having women's memberships, people were quick to fork out the cash and, and buy a women's membership at AFLW level. But when that exact type of money is required at a local level, VFLW, we don't see people racing out to put their hand in their pockets where it's really needed because, as you said, these women, and I think even the Sharks women, pay something like about $500 a yeah, year. $500. Yeah. That's what a sponsorship is. They ask you to sponsor it. So a lot of the, uh, I think they got about 35 of the women covered by sponsorships. And I, I sponsored Brittany because I talked to a family and she became a feature of the story, the game that she, that the second game I watched, I wrote about was when she dived to, to get 
keep the ball in the Sharks forward line to get into the final and it did but she also injured herself and um, so you know I'm particularly attached to Brittany because I wrote about her and she's a lovely delightful young person um, yeah so that's what people need to do get their businesses in there or get you know their, their families behind it and go and support uh, their local football and, and the women and the young, you know, any young people going out there and, and um, putting their all into it. I don't want to ruin the ending for anyone, but uh, do read that little chapter on Brittany uh, diving onto the football because uh, I know we were there that day and yeah. uh, out of that day it was uh, two matches going on at the same time that had a say right. on who made finals and who got knocked out. Yeah, and I was standing right next to you because – not knowing the players at that stage, standing next to your broadcast, which I find brilliant, uh, I was able to know, to know who was who and, and then write that up in my report. I was keeping notes so that I could write it all up. So now the Girls Play Footy um, website, like the Almanac, is writing up the game, so we're getting to know the people. We're, we're, we're starting to have familiar names, and so next year we'll be that much more enamoured of um, the women footballers, but yeah, you, you do great work. And yes, that was a that was an unbelievable game because then everyone gathered around you guys as you were uh, commentating the other end of the other game, which then decided which of the two teams got into the finals. So I think it was the Muggers, wasn't it? The University. Uh, um, yes, one point yeah. over Diamond Creek, where the player for Diamond yeah. Creek twenty meters out in front missing. Yeah. Oh, you remember everything. Yep, yep. <laughs> it was it was uh, literally a uh, a very very uh, memorable day. And just before I let you go, Yvette, uh, quickly again, Sirens Call, a memoir yep. by Yvette Roby. Where can people purchase the book? Uh, they can pick it up at um, uh, online uh, through my website www.cartoonswork.com.au. Sirens Call through the Footy Almanac. There's a link. Um, and bookshops now have it. And there's uh, digital copies as well that um, uh, that can be found on Amazon and iBooks and things like that. So it is around. It's out there and um, people reading it tell me they're enjoying it. So. Well, Yvette, it's been a pleasure having you online and we certainly uh, wish you and your Sharks all the very best throughout 2017. All the best with the book sales of Sirens Call, a memoir by Yvette Roby. Thank you very much, Peter. Time to now focus on women's footy in each different state. We're going to go to South Australia first and introduce a new contributor to our program from the Two Crows podcast. Her name is Alison Schiller. Alison, thank you very much for joining us. Let's focus right in on the Adelaide Crows, the AFLW Premiers, and we've got some uh, big news surrounding the co-captain of the Crows that was broken late last week. Yes, Aaron Phillips um, has officially retired from the WNBA to focus on family and the next stage of her sporting career. Uh, but obviously for her to retire, she was actually waived from the Dallas Wings, which is not a part of a hand movement that you use. But waving over there is basically, uh, to put it politely, your cut. And I uh, had about 48 hours to be picked up by another club, and unfortunately that didn't happen for Erin. Um, and so she is now officially retired from uh, the women's basketball, which... For me personally, hoping that that means she'll be a crow for a heck of a lot longer. Yeah, it's very interesting, the language around that. Retired from the WNBA. So that means she's retired from that league, but not necessarily basketball when we think about the Opals uh, campaign no. for the Olympics as well. But curiously, the, the early reports are is that she would stay in the US uh, where she's got her, her American wife and her family uh, in Dallas mm-hmm. until November. But um, 
who knows, could all that change if, for example, a WNBL contract comes up if she wants to come back to Australia because that doesn't collide with AFLW season or should the Crows upgrade her and offer her more money? Well, you'd probably guess my opinion which way that would go, which would be to bring on down to the Crows all day, every day. But I think, in all honesty, she personally feels she has some unfinished business uh, with the Olympic Games, so I wouldn't be surprised to see her line up for some basketball. Uh, whether she has to actually commit to a WNBL uh, contract, as you mentioned, to be included in that. Uh, but I still think there's a basketball still left within Erin and then in November uh, back onto the old Adelaide Crows train and we can go around again. Well, that leads, I guess, into our next story is that she's also been linked with another club and, in fact, all the Adelaide Crows women's have been linked with another club because they've all been divided up amongst the Adelaide Women's Footy League sides. Yes. Yes, they definitely have. So the in the local league, or it's now called the Adelaide Women's Footy League, which was known as the um, South Australian Women's Footy League previously, and Adelaide Footy, so they've sort of combined... Um, some groups there. So Adelaide University and Hatchards are down there. Also little Kelly Gibson, which we can touch on later, little Gibbo, and Justine Mills um, is assigned to the Adelaide Uni. Uh, down at the Morphe Roos, which is, you might as well tag that as Crows Country, because we had a heck of a lot of players uh, come from there originally. So Denny Van Hagen is assigned there. Dana Cox, little Ebony Marinara. Uh, Georgia Bevan and CJ Courtney Cramey has also been assigned to Morphe. And Courtney Cramey is also a runner for the local SNFL uh, Glenelg Football Club as well. Certainly Next. covering some yes, miles, sorry. to say the least. Oh, absolutely. I, I was wondering whether she would be with the um, the Roos as well as the um, being a runner, but obviously she's combining both there and getting her feet wet on two different grounds on a weekend. So down at the Port Adelaide Maggies, though, um, Perko, Big Tex Perkins, she's assigned to Port Adelaide, Jenna McCormick, and, of course, one Erin Phillips, which breaks my heart to see Erin Phillips and Port Adelaide linked together, but, of course, it makes perfect sense that that would be the club that she would be assigned to. He throws up two interesting points with that as well, that obviously Erin is expected to be in the US until November, so she may never pull on mm-hmm. that Port Adelaide Magpies jumper, but if she does, That's for correct. some reason, come back, and if she doesn't play basketball, which is seems to be unlikely, then she'd play for Port Adelaide. But again, it just seems to be more on paper, her name there. The other interesting one is Sarah yeah. Perkins. She's also been listed on the VFLW list for the Eastern Devils. Now, when she yeah. comes back from injury, the mail that I've got is that she will fly back for what I call one or two guest appearances for the Devils, but apparently uh-huh. stay more in Adelaide where she has her job there and commit obviously more of her football over in SA. Yeah, once, like, as you mentioned, when she's um, recovered from her ankle surgery and everything else, she's still got a job here at Reese Plumbing. And I'm more than happy. I did actually ask the Crows about her being assigned to both clubs, and they said, yes, she can actually play for both. Obviously, um, the Devils being from her own home area. So that's nice, I think, of her to actually be able to go back there, play a couple of games, but also return to her new home uh, back here in SA, which I think is wonderful. And can't wait for her to go around next year. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry, the better. I was going to say a couple of big recruits there at Salisbury, including one co-captain. Oh, I couldn't be more happy. This is sort of I'm in the northeast area myself, so Salisbury, although fit further north, is the, probably the closest team to me. So Sarah Allen, Chalky, hashtag Chalky, uh, one of my favourites is there, and 
I, I let her take the credit for bringing um, little sedge, Sledgehammer, Jess Sedgenary, and, of course, Captain Courageous herself, Chelsea Randall, uh, down to Salisbury Magpies there. So that's going to be absolutely fabulous, watching them run around together. And who end up at West Adelaide? Yeah, West Adelaide, we've got Rachel Killian, who that was her original team. Um, and I think her mum works there as well. And then you've got Talia Raiden and the Big Ree Metcalf. She's going to be down at Westie, so she can overlook everything, literally. And then at Modbury, which is very close to me, we've got um, Monique Hollick has been assigned there. So that's how it looks at all the Adelaide Women's uh, Footy League clubs and how the players have been divvied up. And I guess just to explain again for those uh, outside of South Australia, you've got a late starting season, end of May, and that's only because there technically was another footy season at Adelaide. Yes, so we had Norwood and North Adelaide face off there. I saw a little bit of the the grand final, um, and that was actually a really good game, some good skills, and it's great to see some more younger players coming through from there. And I guess it poses the question for the other state leagues and AFLW uh, in years going forward, as if uh, do other state leagues copy the W and that's to move their season to align with AFLW, as in to uh, obviously give players that aren't selected uh, in the AFLW side uh, a chance to run around on the weekend? Well, I think that would be... Um that would actually be a great idea, but also, I suppose the logistics of when the AFLW plays right in summer is one part of it. And would you get enough weeks, depending on how many teams are in each division, uh, would you get out of that as well? And as well, some big news regarding Kelly Gibson that was broken uh, late Tuesday evening on Fox Footy. Yes, uh, the story going around the traps on Fox Footy is that apparently, allegedly, she's requested a trade back to Western Australia, which is her home state. And the story, which is uh, Sarah Ollie by the looks of her, has said that she's requested it and Adelaide apparently won't stand in her way. Uh, hasn't actually given a reason why she's requested home, whether it's homesickness or anything else, I'm actually not sure. But the downside for the Crows is, as it is for most teams outside Victoria, is that draft picks are essentially useless to us, which is a big downside if you've got a marquee player that looks like heading off into state that you may not get much or anything in return for it. Just to explain to everyone, if you're a non-Victorian club, you have exclusive access to your state's pool. So if someone nominates for South Australia, the Crows are the only club that can pick them up unless of course it goes to obviously free agency if the crows pass on you and then anyone can grab anyone from anywhere but then of course you've got to commit to the move as a tier three semi-professional player Um, that's correct and that's something that could actually essentially happen with kelly because um according to the story is that because she's been downgraded from her marquee status obviously trying to squeeze some room in the salary cap there for erin and our other marquee players so be interesting to see what happens there if it all goes ahead. Or are the Adelaide Crows actually chasing another marquee player to put into that spot? 
Of course, uh, the marquee kind of position or title is now out the window, all replaced by what they call Tier 3, Tier 2, Tier 1, as in um, it's essentially like how they had marquee priorities and the regular players. They've just now called them tier names and essentially the top tier, there's now four, so you can almost say four marquees, and then there's a bunch of uh, those middle tier and then, of course, uh, those that get the uh, bottom pay. But uh, I guess coming out of that, it's interesting that the the talk of Harris going from Brisbane down to Victoria and, and the talk now of Gibson going back to WA, both of them were marquees at the respective clubs and both of them had employment in the football industry in those states as well. Yes, which sort of shows the intent of the club to actually keep them there, I believe. So it does sort of seem a bit surprising and I had heard that Kelly was actually very, very happy here. So I'd be interested to see what comes out of the story uh, with Taylor Harris as well, if if that was a, a try to keep them there, like they do with other AFL players, is there anything else they can do to keep them there or what their desire is to come home, whether it is all family-oriented or for other purposes? Well, Alison, thanks very much for joining us. We look forward to catching up with you soon here on Girls Play Not Footy. a problem. Continuing our look at all the different women's footy state leagues, we now head to AFL Canberra, where they've had round five, and the Gungalan Jets 7 14 56 did the job over the Malongolo Juggernauts 3 5 23. Eastlake 16 12 108 defeated Ainsley 1 straight 6. Balcona Magpies 14 14 98 over ANU Griffins 2 1 13. And the Riverine Alliance 4 2 26 lost to the Quimbian Tigers 7 9 51. And a big win for the Tuggeranong Hawks 16 23 1 19 of the Cootamundra Blues 1-1-7. Now, in a little bit of a quirk of the fixture, there will be a game outstanding from round one that will be played on Thursday, 18th of May at 7pm at Gungahlin and closed over where the Jets host the Balcon and Magpies. For the rest of the competition, no games this weekend due to representative football. They will be back for the next week. And time now to head up to Queensland and have a look at the Bond University QWAFL. I've got our Queensland footy guru, Aaron Russell, on the line. Aaron, thanks for joining us. And uh, what a game between uh, Corporu and the UQ Red Lions. And, of course, this game was all part of the Friday Night Bites theme. Sure was, mate. It was a fantastic uh, evening down at Corporu. Got to make that one myself. Um, was a really interesting game, actually. Uh, UQ come out of the blocks early, kicked four goals, one behind. Uh, in the first quarter, Cooperu didn't register a score. Um, I think UQ kicked a goal without Cooperu even touching the footy. Um, kicked three more shortly after that. And then the rest of the game was was all Cooperu, the next three quarters. Um, Cooperu kicked three goals, five, and uh, went down by, by two points in the end. It was, it was a, a, quite a bizarre game of footy. Very bizarre game of footy. Bit bit slippery, um, bit bit dewy, but uh, yeah, really interesting. Kate Deegan, who's one of the Lions rookie listed players, had an absolute blinder. Ali Anderson, also one of the Lions girls, Cooper, um, played really well. Um, it, it was yeah, just a really really bizarre game. Um, Nicole Hildebrand, um, as as you know, but well, had a really good game. Um, she was probably one of the reasons why Cooper didn't kick, kick more um, after countless inside 50s. So she was just um, a, a tower at centre-half back, played there all day, all night, I should say, and was yeah, really handy for them. Well, the Gorillas had a bit of a battle on their hands against uh, the Roos. Yeah, yeah, it was it was an interesting one. They went the track up there. I think they were slightly undermanned. Um, 
for the previous two weeks, Wilson, but um, got the job done in the end. And it'll be it'll be you know one of those challenging years for Maroochydore. Um, you know, as they as they grow into the competition, they got a lot of young young players up there, so you expect them to improve throughout the year. But um, Wilson got the job done mainly through the middle. They've been really good. Jamie Stanton, uh, another one of the Lions girls, just um, absolutely dominating at the moment. Um, I'd, I wish they did more uh, stats in the in the quaffle, and I'd be I reckon she'd be up around the twenty high high twenty disposals a week in the last couple of rounds. So she's she's playing really well. Um, but yeah, they're, they're midfield at the moment. Wilson is what's keeping them ahead. Five three thirty three to one five eleven in that game. And speaking of challenging season, it continues for the Zilmere Eagles. They didn't get on the scoreboard, and Yoronga South Brisbane racked up a cricket score twenty four fourteen one fifty eight. Yeah, exactly. So I'll probably bite my tongue a little bit here because I I know I said during the week uh, earlier on last week that that Yoronga might not rest anyone, and they they definitely um, blooded some players in that game. Um, used that opportunity to rest a few of their stars, uh, but still, yeah, as, as, as you can see there, 100, 158 nil. Um, yeah, not not quite uh, a competitive competitive game in that one, but um, yeah, pr- probably not take too much out of that. Colin Gattertweed having the bye for this week. That flips us over now to uh, round seven. And uh, what a game. Uh, 4.45 p.m. Saturday afternoon. Colin Gattertweed hosting Yoronga South Brisbane. Yeah, look, it's a grand final rematch that should have happened uh, in round one. <laughs> it's a washout round. Uh, but, yeah, we get to see it now. Oh, look, to be honest, um, you know, you, 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 you probably got to say that uh, you're longer tracking a, a fair bit better than Cooley at the moment. Um, the only advantage there, they do have to make the trip down to Cooley. Um, yeah, I'd say after resting a few stars last week, uh, last weekend, they'll, they'll be primed for this one, you're um, You know, you'd be too hard pressed betting against them, so I'm, I'm going with you uh, this weekend, I think the, the those stars that have been rested and the curly ones have been hard at it week after week. Um, yeah, I think I think they'll be they'll be too good this weekend. Cooperu hosting uh, Maruchidor. Yeah, Cooperu. Uh, they've got a home game. Honestly, I look at the list and I I really like it. Um, they got they got a lot to like about players at their disposal. Um, I don't think they're quite clicking yet. Um, you know, they've, they've in terms of. Uh, their list itself, uh, the girls are putting out in the park and have played together less than probably any other uh, club um, at the moment. So, yeah, they're, they're going to take a little while. But, um, look, I think they'll be at home. Um, it's, it's actually uh, Ladies' Day on Saturday as well down at Cooperoo. So it's going to be a big event. I, I think they'll I think they'll be too good for Maroochydore. Um, I'm tipping Cooperoo. Uh, by by 35. I think they're going to start to click together. Um, so, yeah, I'm tipping, tipping them by 35. And also at 4.45pm on Saturday, uh, Zilmir Eagles are hosting UQ Red Lions at O'Callaghan Park. Yeah, that, that's right. So, look, I think Zilmir, you know, they're going to, they're going to all those girls um, getting more exposure to, to you know, the, the highest level they can be playing against and playing against good opposition week in, week out. They're going to improve. Um, I'm not sure what UQ will do here. They might do a similar thing, maybe, maybe rest a few stars here. Um, UQ are quite a small site across the board. Um, with a bit of a mosquito fleet happening through the middle and the forward line. 
uh, Shani Webb being the only tall target there on the weekend. So well, they might not rest her, but um, but but yeah, I'd say they might rest a few. But I'd say UQ will, will, will obviously be there, be a winner on that one uh, convincingly. Okay. And the Gorillas having the bye this round. Aaron, thanks very much for joining us. We look forward to catching up with you next week to talk more Bond University QWAFL. No worries. Thanks for having me. Let's take a look now at the WAWFL. And over the weekend, it was round six where Claremont 21-22-148 thrashed East Perth. No score. The Peel Thunderbirds 2-1-13 lost to the Coastal Titans 16-13-109. East Fremantle 13-13-91 defeated the Perth Angels one straight six. And in the close game of the round, South Fremantle 7-10-52 defeated West Perth 5-3-33. Swan Districts having the bye. The fixture for round seven this weekend on the Saturday, 5pm Medibank Stadium. Coastal Titans host East Fremantle. On the Sunday, all two o'clock starts. East Perth host West Perth at Altone Park. Claremont hosts the Perth Angels at Carlisle Reserve. And Swan Districts host South Fremantle at Still Blue Oval. The Peel Thunderbirds having the bye. Now to time to look at the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. I've got on the line our reporter in Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, thank you very much for joining us. Sydney Uni Bombers versus the Newtown Breakaways and the Bombers having a comprehensive victory. Yeah, look, it definitely was a comprehensive win. Uh, three first quarter goals was a great start from Sydney Uni and they never really let the Breakaways get a look in um, at all. Rachel Stack was again strung up forward for the Sydney Uni Bombers, kicking four goals and was also named their best on ground. Uh, Pat Wright for Newtown was named their best. And uh, I think Newtown and Shelley be looking forward to the break this weekend due to the rep game to, uh, I suppose, try and regroup and set themselves up for the, um, the next part of the season. Let's go across to our next game, and it was a close one between the Power and Mac Uni. It certainly was, and I mean, we discussed this last week and, and thought it would be a close game. Uh, it was a fairly even first quarter with Mac Uni uh, taking a seven-point lead, um, and they continued their good start with three goal to one second quarter. Uh, however, the Warriors really wasted their chances in the third quarter, kicking six behind to Powers' no score. Uh, Power did make a comeback in the final term, uh, with youth girls player Emily East kicking two goals, but it wasn't enough for Power, with McNamee holding on to win by six points, and uh, Jess Wong for the Warriors was lively up forward with two goals. The uh, Shamrocks came back down to earth when they took on the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Stingrays. Yeah, look, they certainly did. I mean, they had their big win on their ladies' day last week at home, um, but they come up against a strong outfit in uh, UNSW Stingrays. And while the Shamrocks got on the board early with a goal in the first quarter, they were never a match for the Stingrays. Jasmine Smith kicked four goals and Gemma still three for the Stingrays, while Rochelle Godman was named uh, the Stingrays' best, uh, and Deborah Garrity kicking the Shamrocks' only goal for the day. So uh, quite different results there for the Shamrocks uh, as compared to last week. And the final match of the round, uh, the Giants and the Wolves. Yeah, well, the Giants win um, against the Wolves it was a pretty good one for them, uh, and it pushes them into the top four for their first time uh, in the Premier Division, and it also knocked Southern Power out of the top four. Uh, Melissa Bryden was strong again up forward for the Giants, kicking six goals, which brings her season total to 18, and it sees her topping the goal kickers list for the comp. Uh, Brooke Atkins kicked the Wolves' only goal, whilst Melissa Freckleton was named their best on ground. 
And Brighton racking up those goals as well starts to put the name out there for obviously the draft that comes up in October. And of course, we know that they'll probably need uh, an extra one or two forwards there at the GWS Giants and the AFLW. So certainly uh, Brighton putting her name up in lights. Yeah, well, she's definitely not going to do her chances any harm uh, if she continues to, to you know, you know, kick these bags of goals. So she's um, had a, a good few weeks, and uh, I'm sure she'll be looking to continue that form after the rep game. How does the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division ladder look so far? Well, as we go into the break with the rep game, with the Sydney Union sitting uh, in first place, followed by UNSW, we have Mac Union in third, Auburn in fourth with three wins and a draw, Power uh, at fifth, UTS sixth, Western Wolf seven, and Newtown uh, without a win at the moment, sitting in eighth place. Well, Lauren, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. We look forward to catching up with you quickly next week for a quick recap on the uh, rep game and then, of course, looking ahead to the next round of AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Yeah, looking forward to it and uh, predicting a win for AFL Sydney in their rep game for the ladies. But it should be a good good game up in Newcastle and uh, looking forward to our chat next week. Time now to have a look at the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition and I've got on the line our girlsplayfooty.com match of the day commentator in Matthew Cox. Coxie, thank you very much for joining us. Let's have a look at a game that we called for the first time ever on RSN Carnival last Saturday at Ocean Grove. It was the Geelong Cats and the Seaford Tigerettes and the Cats led from go to woe. Yeah, game I probably expected to be a little bit closer on the, the scoreboard, but the Cats, geez, they've started uh, the season well. They've come out firing and surprisingly on top of the ladder after two rounds. I don't know how many people would have predicted that, but, um, yeah, starting very, very nicely in Seaford. But just a few question marks come over after a pretty decent year in 2016, just struggling to get off the ground this season. After the original round three was moved to later in the season, it's actually given Geelong, dare I say, a nice soft draw to begin with. They're playing, if you count them as being the old North Geelong, obviously there's been a big list change there, but they're playing against essentially what was the bottom four. They play Box Hill, which essentially is a rebranded Knox with a few new players, Seaford, and next game in round three, they've got Cranbourne. So they should be able to bank all three. No, they should, and, and you'd expect if they go uh, well against Cranbourne, which considering their form line from the first two rounds, you'd expect Geelong to win. It's weird that they're going to be 3-0 and with a very healthy percentage because the wins just haven't been dominant wins for Geelong. They've been comprehensive victories, and against side, as you say, uh, probably where around them on the ladder or where we thought they should be on the ladder. Um, it, it's it's quite amazing that they're, they're thumping these sides, which, which you know, the likes of Seaford and Cranbourne, you thought, well, they were probably a step ahead in terms of development late last year. Let's have a look at what happened at Bill Laurie Oval in Northcote. Um, Darabin and the Eastern Devils, with 10 minutes to go, Darabin were on track for a very rare 0-2 start to the season. And Darabin, like Darabin do, managed to pull it out of the fire. Katie Brennan, one of those, stepping up in the crucial moments. And uh, they ran out two goal winners over the Eastern Devils in Meg Hutchins' 200th game. The Devils, for a second week in a row, have blown it. 
Yeah, an opportunity gone missing. I think I said on the, the show last week that this may have been a, a chance for the Eastern Devils, an opportunity for them to assert themselves on the competition. And looking at the scoreline, they've not failed, but they've missed it again. That's two weeks in a row. And especially against the Darabin side, we know they're not at full strength and missing a heap of stars, but um, it still would have been nice just to get that little mental edge over them for Darabin, well, there's a few question marks or cracks beginning to appear. Do you, does it mean if you take a few of their key players out of the side, they're not that great? And I know it'll disturb the structures and everything like that, but you'd assume that a side with so much success in recent seasons would have the depth to be able to cover some of the stars that are missing, including Ar- Arnell, Daisy Pierce, names like that. Um, but they just don't seem to be able to click at the moment. What's interesting to note as well, it's just been announced that for Darabin, that Daisy Pierce won't be captaining this year. She stepped back into just a leadership group role. Uh, Katie Brennan with the vice captaincy. The captaincy being given to Elise O'Day. Yeah, an interesting decision. A good decision, though, Elise O'Day. She's a, a brilliant player, always hovering around the contest these days, um, getting her own ball going in after it, being able to feed it to the outsider, a real inspiring player. Um, so congratulations to her for the captaincy. Surprised that uh, with Pierce stepping down that Brennan didn't automatically get uh, get into the position, but I think sharing that leadership, but they've got so many leaders in that group, I don't think it really matters who's got the captaincy title. But for them, I think it's only the person who's going in to do the, the t- uh, toss of the coin. So um, a fantastic achievement for Elise O'Day, of course, played with uh, Daisy Pierce at Melbourne. Diamond Creek and Cranbourne at Plenty War Memorial Park and it's the Creekers uh, in red-hot form early, 14-14-98. Defeating Cranbourne 3-3-21, Chloe Malloy, six goals and leads the VFL goal kickers list with 10 from two games. Yeah, just another quiet weekend on the park for her. Um, fantastic that uh, the, the Creekers have got a bit of a jump to get the season underway. Uh, again, a, a question mark in my mind hovers. Is it a bit um, surreal considering they've only played Seaford and Cranbourne? So that's uh, are we getting a, a good enough gauge on just how good the Diamond Creek form is? Cranbourne, similar to Seaford, um, obviously a, a heap of players that aren't in that side. They've just lost that, that structure. And I don't really want to say it, but I am. I think they've gone a step backwards. It's not good, and they've got some injury concerns down there at the Eagles, and uh, I've got a feeling that um, they could be looking at maybe bottom two, bottom three. Yeah, and that's really disappointing considering where they were taking towards the end of last year. They weren't world beaters, but you could see the development. You could see the improvement. And just looking at the scoreboard from the first two games for the Eagles, it just they haven't been able to carry that over. And as I said, they've got injuries okay, but similar to Darabin, you'd expect to have some people coming through being able to take on that responsibility, responsibility and just have a crack. It just, unfortunately, it looks like they're not doing that at the moment. And it's hard because we're only looking at the, uh, the the scoreboard here and, you know, the effort might be there at the ground. But you would have thought maybe that game probably would have been between probably six, six and eight goals rather than the eventual score that it was. 
Box Hill and the VUS and Spurs at Box Hill City Oval. The Hawks 3-1-19. Yep, they got on the scoreboard. VUS and Spurs 3-8-86. So a slightly improved performance from the Hawks, but uh, they're always going to struggle against a side like the Spurs who have aspirations of the top four this year. Yeah, and tracking along very nicely at the moment. Uh this uh, a good spread of goal kickers again for for the VU Western Spurs. So they they're just ticking along at the moment. I think we may have discussed this uh, off air on the weekend. Probably thought maybe they should have been uh, a little better in terms of margin. Uh, maybe pushing it up around that hundred points. But um, still a good result for the Spurs. They're going along nicely. Box Hill, as you say, at least they got on the scoreboard this week, so they can take positives out of that. But they've got a, a lot of development and a lot of room for improvement. Yes, it's very interesting to see with, with the scores so far, uh, with a couple of one-sided games that we've had over round one and round two, that there's been no 100-point blowouts, uh, but we need to make note that compared to last year, there's at least 20 minutes less of football, because instead of 25-minute straights, we're talking 20-minute straight quarters. Yeah, it, it is, and I, I suppose on the, the flip side of that too, the skill level seems to have gone up this year in the games that I've certainly seen. Uh, most clubs have been able to implement what some players have learnt in the in the national competition, so it just means that the decision-making is a little bit better. Probably the, the turnovers aren't as great as what they were last season, so that might also be contributing to the fact that we haven't seen a, a triple-figure margin yet. And finally, in the uh, match of the round that we saw at the Peanut Farm Reserve, St Kilda Sharks 5-5-35 coming home with a wet sail just fell short against Melbourne Uni 6-4-40. Yeah, second week in a row, the Sharks have finished really, really strong this week, just falling short of the line. Only had two goals, four up until three-quarter time. Muggers didn't score in the final term, which is a bit of concern. They're renowned for their, for their pace um, generally, and you'd expect them to be able to run out games. But the Sharks, I don't know, it was about five minutes into the final term where momentum swung their way, and once they were filled with confidence, they were just unbeatable. The, the Muggers didn't get a look in. And it's you scratch your head thinking the Muggers were so dominant for the first three quarters. Did they just switch off? Did they run out of breath? What, what happened to, to make them stop? Well, it was Gabriella Pound that just kept fighting and fighting and fighting for them and obviously got our Player of the Day award. St Kilda Sharks just had the run and uh, two players who created the run have been rewarded with rookie spots as we speak. Uh, Madison Gay has been uh, picked up by the uh, Carlton Football Club and uh, Hora has gone, to, um, has gone to Melbourne as a rookie. The uh, recruiters must have been listening to our broadcast on the weekend, uh, throwing the theories around about the rookie list of players. Great results for those, uh, for, for Madison and for, um, sorry, Kate, Caitlin, uh, not Caitlin. Uh, Kate, Kate Hall. Ka- Ka- Kate Hall. Um, fantastic results for them. Um, obviously, in the, the two games we've seen this year against the Devils and Muggers, they've performed exceptionally well. Madison Gay looks like she's played about 50 games. It's hard to believe that she's only played two for, for the senior Sharks side. So fantastic for them to be rewarded so early in their careers. And I suppose it's a, a little bit of relief now. They can have the pressure off their shoulders of not trying to make the AFLW competition. They can just go out there, play football and continue their development path. 
It does it come as any surprise as we wrap things up that uh, the club that's been uh, most active on trade day, trade uh, day Tuesday at the AFL headquarters, has been the Carlton Football Club, not only signing uh, Nicholas Stevens uh, from the Collingwood Football Club, but how they got uh, one player out of the Thunder. They've picked up a gay as well, as we said, out of the St Kilda Sharks because of Damien Keeping. has essentially been at least three out of four matches of the round that we've covered. He's been there just standing in the shadows on the opposite side of the ground, watching on intently. Yeah, a little, little bit creepy, I think. He's, he's always on the outer side by himself, um, just just watching on. But I I, th- I think that does make a difference. I think that the fact that they've got someone in a senior position hovering around the grounds, um, evaluating what's going on, I think it's certainly helping with their decision-making. I know there's been a couple of other uh, recruiters at, at grounds that we've attended, but the fact that uh, Damien's making the effort to attend as many matches as possible to try and get uh, an insight into some of the talent that's coming through the competition and also where he can plug holes for, for Season 2, it's it's fantastic that they are taking this very, very seriously. and. Even when we spoke to Andrew Jago on the weekend, he he was talking about how his coaching philosophy is not shifted as such, but his perspective has always been about the development and the growth of of players, but it's now about how to make them well-rounded, versatile players that can be slotted into the AFLW competition. So they're not just looking at what's happening at state league level. They're now keeping their eyes and looking ahead to the to the future with the national competition. Well, just before we go, Coxie, uh, it's a week off this week in the VFL women's competition. It just feels like we got started and now everyone's got to buy. <laughs> just have to pull over to the side of the road and wait wait for uh, for next week. But um, it is a little bit disappointing, obviously, that, that the week has uh, the buy because of uh, what's going to happen during the year with the grand final. But... Probably a good time for some of the clubs to, to reassess where, where they're at. Darabin to, to think, are we going down the right path in terms of resting uh, our good players early? The Muggers to reassess, well, we've had two wins but not great wins. Um, what are some of the things that we need to work on and improve? The Sharks need to find a way to get uh, a better start and the Devils just need to find a way to, to get going to uh, to finish out a, a full game of footy. So there's plenty of things to work on in this week off and I don't mind it just to, to see how everyone reassesses and what happens in round three. Well, Coxie, thanks very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy and we look forward to catching you soon to talk more Swiss Wellness VFL Women's. Looking forward to it, Pete. Thanks very much. And that concludes another edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Before I go, a quick reminder about our social media channels. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash girlsplayfooty. On Twitter, just search for girlsplayfooty. And, of course, our website for all the latest women's footy news, girlsplayfooty.com. And a reminder that our RSN Carnival coverage of the VFL Women's Competition will return on the following weekend. It is a general buy this weekend. Um... Round three was essentially moved to later in the year due to the grand final being moved back a week. But we hope to see you around the weekend of uh, May 27th. Hope you can join us then. But don't forget, there's another podcast to come out next week. Keep an eye on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search for Girls Play Footy to find the latest episode of this podcast. Until next time, I'm Peter Holden, and it's bye for now.